It is good to sing the gospel to one another and back to the Lord, to proclaim back to him all that he has done. Wow, that's one of my favorites. I'm Thomas. I am one of your pastors here. And uh, actually, before I start with anything else, I want to dismiss our junior high students. Thank you for learning Christ with us together through song and the other things we've done so far, confession. Now you get to go learn Christ uh, with your peers in another setting. So that's wonderful. Parkview Church, our vision is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that we long to see in the future. That's the vision, a vision we want to see. It's a dream. And our mission, what we're going to do to get there, is to glorify God through the whole church, every single one of us, forming whole disciples of Jesus, robust, well-formed, well-rounded disciples of Jesus for the good of all people. We are in week four of a five-week series fleshing out what exactly we're talking about here, making sure that we have all understood all that God has called us to be and do as his people in this particular time and place. And these are the conclusions that we have come to. As we've done this, we've worked through uh, some, some really core convictions, things that we need to be committed to, heart, soul, hands, everything, if we're going to actually see this happen. And we've done, done so uh, by answering a series of questions. Uh, we started off by considering why make disciples? Why is making disciples so important? Why should that, what should fuel the fire for us to actually do this? Second, we considered what a disciple actually is, a learner of Christ, a forgiven sinner who's learning Christ learning. That's a key word today, too. Learning Christ, repentance and faith. Uh, how are disciples made? How do you actually do it? How do you actually do it? What, what actually happens? What's the secret sauce? What's the, feel, what, what's the process like? And finally, today, we're going to consider who makes disciples. I hope, I hope you've been following along with us. We've made this nice booklet, and several staff members have poured a ton of time into this, um, each one with about probably a 20 or 30-minute little study uh, to prepare you before we dive in. It's not too late to jump in if you haven't yet. But this is our conviction, and this is what we're going to talk about today. Who makes disciples? I'll skip to the end for you. By their preaching, training, and example, pastors and other leaders equip every Christian, every, every Christian, a whole church, every Christian to be a Christ learner who helps others learn Christ. And we're going to see this from Ephesians 4. If you want to open your Bible with me to Ephesians 4, this is a great time. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And God's word says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, to see any fruit from this vision, we must ask the Lord to come and do what we cannot do. Let's go to him in prayer, if you would. Lord, 
Your word is perfect. Your word is helpful. Your word is what we need. It revives our souls. Help us today, Lord, whether, whether we are walking in here feeling confident, strutting in, <laughs> riding high on a fresh wave of encouragement and obedience, or, or whether we are limping in today, desperate for you to breathe fresh spiritual oxygen into our lungs. Be who you are for us today. Speak to us through your word. Help us see that what you have called us to is right, good, beautiful, possible. Glorify Jesus through us, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in this passage, we learn three key aspects of what it means to be faithful to God's help, call to help others learn Christ. First, we're going to see the calling described, the calling described, the character required, and finally, the confidence supplied. The calling, the character, the confidence. Got it? Great. Okay, so the calling described. We really see that throughout this whole passage, but in particular, we're going to see it in verses 11 and 12. It says this, just so you can look down and remember with me. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Let me stop there. What do you expect to come next? He gave all these people. Okay, I don't know who would raise their hand for any of those people in those categories, but he gave the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, the teachers to give good talks, maybe. Uh, to counsel the wandering to evangelize sinners, to build up the body of Christ, right? Instead, what does it say? He gave them to equip the saints. Now, we're going to get to that word in a minute, and I, I hope when you read that, you, you probably think, oh, yeah, that's right, perfect people. The perfect, he equips the perfect people. That's actually, it kind of means the opposite, but we'll get to that later. To equip the saints, that is every single one of us who have trusted Christ for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Obviously, a really important word there is equip. Equip. What does the Bible mean by that word? It's a fairly holistic word. It, it means training. Yes, it means training, which we might expect, but it also has to do with repairing, with mending, with preparing. Uh, this is the word that's used when Jesus approaches uh, Peter. Oh, I forget who it was, but they're, but they're mending their nets before they go out fishing. It says they're equipping. They're, they're mending their nets. They're getting them ready. There's holes in them. And, and basically, long story short, they're making sure that something or someone is ready to do the thing for which it's used, the thing for which it was created. The role of gifted leaders is to make sure that every single one of us, every Christian, the whole church, to use the, the language of our vision, the whole church is ready to do the thing for which God made us which is, we see, the work of service, the work of ministry, that which builds up the church, making disciples, making disciples. What does that mean? We've got to remember again. What does it mean? What are we talking about when we make disciples? Some of you, when you hear that word, you think, oh, making disciples. I know what that means. Uh, I've seen it happen in a coffee shop once. It was t there were two guys sitting together. They were reading their Bibles. That, I saw it. Making disciples. That's what, the, that's what the old one was doing with the younger one. Making disciples. Some of you hear it and you go, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen that. I saw a guy, he walked up to someone and he was like, hey, 
call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And he was making disciples. He was doing evangelism. Well, it's a little bit more than that. Here's, here's what I mean. When a Parkview member asks her unbelieving roommate, just sort of, they're sitting together and just talking and sort of getting deep on some issues, said, what do you think about prayer? Do you ever pray? And they talk a little bit, and she listens a lot, and, and eventually she gets to share how she loves to pray because she knows that when she prays to God, she knows that God actually listens to her because when God looks at her, she doesn't see everything that she's done wrong and all of her mess, even the things that she's doing wrong in the moment, but she actually sees the perfection of Jesus. So she has an audience with God. She gets heavenly reception because of what Jesus has done. What's she doing in that moment? She's making disciples. When a man sits down for dinner with his elderly Christian mother and encourages her to continue to pursue learning Jesus into her older years as fervently as she did when she was younger, when he asks his mom, Mom, what can I learn? What can you teach me about how to faithfully live for Jesus when I get to your age? Prepare me, Mom. What's he doing? He's making disciples. When one of you, after the service today, sticks around, you look for someone that you know or maybe someone you don't know and you connect with them and, and maybe it's one of your fellow community group members or something like that, just someone you know, and you ask them, hey, what did what, you learn today? Or what are you learning from the Bible lately? What are you learning about God? What are you doing? Making disciples. <laughs> You're making disciples. This, this phrase that we've been using over and over again, maybe you have a specific idea in mind, but here's what we're talking about. It's every effort that we make to do intentional spiritual good, to help others take the next step in learning Jesus. It might be the smallest thing. It might be something huge. We don't know. It's speaking God's word to one another, encouraging one another to take the next step with Christ. And this passage is telling us that pastors and teachers and all the people that you might think belong up on a stage and that kind of thing are not the ones who sort of do the work of ministry while the rest of us cheer and listen and all of that or watch from the sidelines, or whatever. Rather, it's the joyful duty of every disciple of Jesus, the whole church, to take spiritual responsibility for those around us to help others learn Christ. That's what we mean when we say making disciples. Making disciples is not a second stage of the Christian life. You sort of have adolescence, you hit spiritual puberty or something, and then finally, boom, I'm ready. No, uh, it's not sort of, it, it's not something for sort of A-team, varsity level, sort of uh, big, hulking Christians who are just bodybuilders for Christ and are just so knowledgeable and they've read every single book that's ever been written and they're just, they've got it all figured out or the ones who raise their arms the loudest in worship. And, uh, how do you raise your arms loudest? Raise their arms the highest and sing the loudest in worship. No, it is not those who have enough time for a special program called Making Disciples. It is... In fact, we don't have to choose. We, we can't choose between going deep in personal spiritual life with Christ, getting to know him intimately in prayer, getting to know his word, or going out, outward, outside of ourselves in spiritual influence toward others. We don't have to choose. In fact, we can't. Because making disciples is an inevitable consequence of following Jesus. Making disciples is an inevitable consequence of following Jesus. We will, we will influence people spiritually. You will. It's a matter of whether we'll do it intentionally, whether we'll devote ourselves to it. If we are really learning Jesus, we will be making disciples. Now, a few weeks ago, we considered the question, what is, what is a disciple? 
What's at the heart of a disciple? And, and Doug Fern reminded us that being a disciple of Jesus doesn't just mean knowing what Jesus knows, forming, forming the Bible's convictions, although it certainly means that. It doesn't just mean loving what God loves, forming new affections, forming new uh, dispositions and new habits in our hearts. Uh, it also means doing what Jesus did. Doing what Jesus did. Imagine tomorrow morning, you're doing what no one wants to do. You're going in for surgery. You're going to wake up early, uh, no food, nothing in the mouth, please, uh, before surgery. We're worried about that. Uh, this is not a routine surgery. It is, it's not local anesthetic in your local clinician's office. It's serious. It's not every day. It's not outpatient. You will be laid out for months. You will be recovering for a long time. And the prospects of your success and recovery and future quality of life depend to large a part on the skill of your surgeon. So you come, you get settled into your room, you're anxious, you haven't eaten, you haven't drank anything, you're in your gown, they've made you do the whole thing, sanitize your whole body and all that stuff, and you're sitting there, and the surgeon comes in. He can see that you're anxious. He says, don't worry, do not worry, because I have learned this procedure. I've learned it inside and out. I traveled to the best clinic and I observed the one who invented this procedure. Uh, I even taught one of the residents how to do it uh, this last week. So you're in good hands. It's, it's going to go really well. Now, do you have any questions before we get going? Ah, oh, you're so relieved. You know, you, you say, I'm, relieved. I'm so relieved that you've learned this procedure. You've learned it in and out. Awesome. That's, that's such a relief. Just because I'm curious, how many of these procedures have you actually done? He responds, oh, actually, you'll be my first. <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> Not great. <laughs> you, you'd have to say, you'd have to say to that surgeon, you and I have very different definitions of the word learn. <laughs> and it's becoming very significant in this moment. The word disciple literally means learner. Learner. What do we mean by that? What the Bible means by that is like that example. It's how you hope your surgeon learned before he's giving you life-altering surgery. And it's not just our bodies hanging in the balance, it's human souls. Those, our souls and the souls of those we love, our neighbors and friends. And that's where we get to the heart of our question today. Who makes disciples? If we're truly learning Christ, we, we will make disciples. It's an inevitable step of growth in the life of a believer that we learn Christ, we begin to know what he knows, we begin to love what he loves, and what do we see Jesus doing all the time? We see him going outside of himself, taking spiritual responsibility for those around us, and of course, ultimately, for those of us in this room. More on that in a minute. We will begin, if we have really learned Christ, we will begin to look around at those around us and begin to take concrete steps to do intentional spiritual good to them, for them. We will make room in our hearts for them. We will, we will begin to influence them for Christ, what we call making disciples. So to answer our question, who makes disciples? I'll say it again. By their preaching, training, example, pastors and other leaders equip every Christian. It's the whole church, the whole church making whole disciples to be a Christ learner who helps others 
learn Christ as well. That means leaders like me, <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face, we are not professional Christians. <laughs> we're not sort of all-star superheroes. Rather, at best, I think we're something like a player coach who's there to help make sure you know where to stand and what to do. We're on the field with you, making sure that you can help and play confidently. Now, that's the calling described. That is the calling described. How do I actually become that kind of person? How do I actually become someone who looks around at me and, and makes room in my heart for people who are around me, either whether they know Christ or don't, to, to really take that seriously? Well, it's going to require new character. And that's what we see second. We saw the calling described, and now we see the character that's required. We see this especially in verses 15 and 16. If you look down on me, with me on your phone or in your Bible, it says this. Rather, speaking the truth in, someone say it, in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Do you see what it just said? Growing up into love is part of learning Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is the character of a, of a disciple-maker? And we haven't talked about this a lot, and I think it's something maybe we've missed in the series, is that making disciples and absorbing what we're talking about here, what God has called his church to be all about— has everything to do not so much with what we do, but with who we are. What, what are we? Who are we at the core? Being a disciple is first and fundamentally not about what we do, but about who we are. It's about character, because everything will flow from our hearts. What do we need to be in order to make disciples? Well, as we saw there, at the heart of a disciple-maker, at, at the heart of someone who has taken Christ's call seriously to spiritually impact others for Christ— is love. Love. That is, the Christian life is not primarily defined by growth in knowledge or growth in competency or in wisdom. The final and most fundamental scoreboard for how you are progressing in the Christian life can be summarized in one word. Love. That's what, uh, that's what Scott Eberle wrote, actually, in our booklet. He wrote, discipleship is about love. Discipleship is about love. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he said, first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, Christ says, is the essence of what it means to grow. Now, there are many reasons that we fall short of Christ's call uh, to make disciples, but the fundamental is this, and we have to look it square in the face. We, you and I, have a profound need to develop sincere and ever-increasing love for God and our neighbors. Without that, we won't even get started. When I was 14, I was a miserable, angry, brooding, annoying boy who was more focused on himself than on anyone else around him. I was not fun to be around. 
you probably wouldn't want to be my friend. The trajectory that my life was heading toward was not positive. It was not good. And I think most, most young men who were in my position, who had my history and my past, uh, generally made a mess of their own lives and a mess of a lot of other people's lives too. I was fatherless, abused, and abandoned. I was a mess. And the reason that I am who I am today is because God took hold of me and changed the trajectory of my life by his spirit and through what we just sang about. But do you know how he did it? Through the words and actions of men at this church who took spiritual, personal spiritual responsibility for me and my mess. Men like Tom Cannon. And Mike Farley. And Aaron Goodrich and Trent Sensky and many others, many of you, in certain ways, none of them would say that what they did was something remarkable or superhero status. What did they do? What was the character that led them to that? And listen, listen carefully, because this is the heart of everything I'm saying. It's the heart of everything that we have inscribed in this vision. It's the heart of everything that God wants us to do and be as a church. It's at the heart of what Christ is calling us to today. Here's what they did. They made my growth their responsibility. They made my problems their problem. They made my immaturity their issue. They changed their lives so that I could take a next step, no matter how small, toward Jesus. They inconvenienced themselves. They sacrificed good things. They sacrificed nights of their week when they could have been enjoying other things. They sacrificed money when they took me out to eat, and I probably never said thank you. <laughs> they said no to good things to make sure that I grew up in Christ. They weren't superheroes, but God, God used their ordinary, everyday faithfulness, the words of truth that they spoke into my life patiently and prayerfully, and they had won the right to speak those words into my life to make me something that I never would have become if they hadn't. And while God is to thank for my salvation and every step of progress that I have made in faith, if it weren't for those men, you would not be hearing a sermon today. Not for me. That is to say, their sacrifices are still bearing fruit. 20 years on, 30 years on, and not just in my life. <clears throat> their ordinary faithfulness and in doing intentional spiritual good to me is welling up in pools of divine blessing for me and my family and this church that will resound for eternity. It pleases God to use these simple means to change the trajectory of people that he has created who will live forever to bring much glory to his name. And God has plans for you to do the exact same thing. They followed the pattern of Jesus. The character required will require new, new heart, a new love for those around you. It will require new habits 
It will eventually. It will, it will, you'll get new skills through it. You'll need to learn them. You'll need to find people who will help you learn them. You'll need to see them modeled. But the ultimate marker of maturity in the Christian life is not skills or knowledge. It's love. This, this movement of love, that movement of soul, that opening yourself up to make room in your heart and in your life and in your schedule and in your planner to make other people's life your burden to bear with them, that is fundamental to the character of a disciple of Jesus. Now, if I've done my job in these first 20 minutes or so, I'm, I'm guessing that first, I hope you see and understand this is for me. This is for me. I, I'm part of the whole church making whole disciples of Christ. This is how God, by the way, God says, I'm doing a little thing. I've got a little business going. I'm changing the world. I'm making all things new. And I've got a role for you, you in particular, to play. I hope that's the first thing you see. And I hope the first, second thing that you see is that the demands on our lives are enormous. And the task before us is, wow, nothing to sneeze at. And if you're anything like me, when you first heard this or heard it for the first time and the Lord was waking you up to it, you thought, I can't do it. I don't, I don't have the character. I, I haven't seen that pattern in my life. I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to get help. I can anticipate a few responses. Some of you are saying, I think I'm doing this, but I, I need to grow or I need to recommit myself to it. Some of you are thinking, I, I never knew that. <laughs> I never knew that. I could do that. I can take someone out for hamburgers. I want to grow. I, wa I, I want more of it. I need that love so that I can get started. And some of you are feeling crushed. You're feeling crushed. You feel like you should be doing this and you don't know how, or maybe you've been living the Christian life for so long that you feel like if you were to go ask someone, how do I actually do this? It would just be so embarrassing and shameful for you that you aren't going to do it. I don't know what your response is, but the good news is the Bible has one message of hope, and it's for everyone. And that is what we need. Where, where can we get confidence, that is to say? Where can we get confidence that if we actually take this call seriously, Christ will not reject us when we come to him and try to learn from him, and he will receive us with kindness. He will receive us like the teacher that he is, wanting to teach us to, to come and learn from him the way that he did it, the way that those men learned from Jesus how to do it. So the last thing that we need to see in this passage is the kind of confidence that we need to take this seriously. The kind of confidence that we need, the confidence, and we see that God will supply it. We see that in verse 12. Will you look with me again there at verse 12? Well, I'll start at 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, when I read this, when I read that, I'm sure some of you thought just what many people would think, what the ordinary person would think when they read the word saints. What's a saint? You know, like Mother Teresa. <laughs> like Mother Teresa or like the Pope or something. I don't know. So, you know, kind of like a perfect person. Like someone who's got it all together who hears what God says and just sort of is like, oh yeah, I'll be happy to do that. That's wonderful. Great. Just tell me what to do. You know, someone highly spiritual, someone who does everything right, and they find it easy to do. 
But I hope you can see in the next few minutes that that's actually the exact opposite of the point that Paul is trying to make by using that word. Saint, that word, and it's used many times in the New Testament, literally translates, translates the phrase holy ones. Holy ones. But in this verse, Paul is not pointing to the spiritual elite. It's clear, and as you read it, it's clear he's pointing to every single one of us. He's calling us, you and me. Have you ever been called that? Holy one. Good morning, holy ones. <laughs> Good morning, saints. Good morning. Paul thinks that's a very appropriate word for you. Holy ones. Because the most important thing about you, if you have trusted Jesus, is this. That when God the Father looks at you from heaven, which he does, did you know that? When he looks at you, he says in his heart what a saint and he's not being sarcastic why because while you and I were still rebelling against God in our hearts Jesus made our sin his responsibility He didn't have to, but he did. You know why? Love. You, specifically you, not you, the generic human for which Jesus had in mind. Ah, generic humans. No, you, specifically you, with your face that you look in, in the mirror every morning, with your history with your insufficiencies, with everything that you've done, done wrong, with your history, with your particular moments of greatest shame and remorse, with all of those things in mind, while we were still rebelling, while we were still sinners, you know what he did? He made your mess his. He wrote your wrongs on his report card and handed it to the judge and said, tell me what the sentence is. And then he paid it on the cross. And then he took your report card and wrote down all of his perfection, all of his character, uh, every single moment of him making the right decision time after time after time for a lifetime. His perfect obedience, he wrote it on your report card. So that when you come to God, whether it's for the first time today, for the thousandth time, to get fresh repentance, fresh forgiveness. Do you know how he will greet you? As a saint. How do you think the Father greets Jesus? Did you know that's how he greets you? When you come to him in prayer? When you, when you come to him, when we confess our sins, whether it's here once a week or whether it's in the quiet of your heart after you've done what you know you shouldn't do, that habit that you haven't yet broken. He made it his literal own. Even your current mess. And so you know what? It's true. Only saints make disciples. But guess what? That's you. And whether you're coming to him now saying, I, I haven't done what I know I ought to do, 
where you're coming to him saying, I see what I ought to do, but I don't have the courage, I don't have the confidence that I'll, I'll know what to say, that, that I'll have the love that I know I ought to have. Here's what you need most deeply. You need to plug yourself in deeply, plunge your heart back into this gospel of grace. Guilt and shame will not compel you to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what will? The free forgiveness of Christ. The gaze on the Father's face as he looks at you with divine pleasure. He sees something in you. Plug yourself deeply into this gospel. And then set your heart free. Look around. There's a room full of people. Does anyone not want this? <laughs> Does anyone not want the people around them to love them toward Christ? Second Corinthians five fourteen through 15 summarizes it well. It says, For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Christ has died for us. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer be living for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Parkview Church, here's the call for us today. What we need most is to follow the pattern of Christ by doing intentional, spiritual good to those around us. Christ is with us. Christ is pleased in us. Christ is ready to receive us. He's ready to be with us in this. This is exciting. God really intends to do amazing things through simple people like you and me. He wants us to join in what he is doing. God is making disciples right now. Will we join him? He has incredible things lined up for you because he has filled you with his spirit. He has brought you into relationship with him. He will be with you in your failings and your fallings and your stumblings and your victories. He will rejoice with you as he rejoices over you in Jesus. Let's follow this pattern by doing intentional spiritual good to those around you. Let's make disciples because Christ has promised he will be with us. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that we can call you Father, Lord. We don't have to elbow our way into your presence. We don't have to come with our heads hung low. We can come to you with confidence because you have promised your love to us through Jesus. Lord, we hear, we hear your call to follow the way of Jesus, that, that the way of greatest joy before us, that the way of greatest fulfillment possible to us is the way of laying down our privileges, laying down our rights and liberties, laying down the things that you've called us to say no to, good things for better things. You've promised to nourish us in this. You've promised to be with us in this, Lord. Your greatest present is your presence. Help us to feel it. Help us to sense it. Speak to us now. We pray in the, in the quiet of our hearts, assuring us, calling us forward, and point out to us the people that you would have us go to, to give our hearts to, part of our hearts. 
And Lord, help us to honor Christ. Help us to love you enough that we love one another. Do all this, we pray, that Christ would receive much glory, much glory. He is worthy. Amen.